I'm mischievous Mark Janacchio, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, Amazing Fantasy 15, and all of the Amazing Spider-Man annuals, which I say do not count, despite the fact that I am just like flush with comics in this humble abode here, Dan. Yeah, Mark, I actually crossed, uh, I'm about to cross 4,000 Spider-Man comics in my house. I don't know what to think of that number. I, I don't know if that's a proud moment or a sad moment, but that CLZ app makes it apparent every time I log a new book in there that like we're approaching that 4,000 number. My goodness. Is that going to be the, is that the new competition? Cause I don't think I have that many in this house, Dan. I think, oh, I yeah. know that's not a competition mark that that is a cry for help. Okay. Uh, but, fair uh, enough. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. I, and, and, and if you don't know, I am Dapper Dan Gavazdan. I'm drowning in comics and I own every issue of amazing Spider-Man, including those same amazing Spider-Man annuals, which I say definitely count whether or not you consider planet of the symbiotes, one of them. Uh, but for me, amazing fantasy 15, will remain a fantasy, I think, for probably much of my life. Is that fair, Mark? I, 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 I have no comeback, no witty comeback. I mean, we'll see. I mean, you know, maybe, maybe you'll get a sugar daddy, Dan. I don't know. Who knows? Well, welcome, everybody, to the Amazing Spider Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe. Thanks for joining us for this review episode of the Amazing Spider Talk. If you want to swing along with us on our journey through Spidey's past, present, and future, subscribe to Amazing Spider Talk on your favorite podcast app and leave us a review to help spread the word about our show. This podcast exists because of the support of our Patreon members. If you want to receive early episodes, exclusive artwork, and keep our podcast going, go to AmazingSpiderTalk.com and there's a big button that says Patreon and you know what to do. You click on that button and then you join the Patreon. It's that simple. But today on the show, Mark and I are going to be discussing Amazing Spider-Man, Volume 6, Number 41, part of the Gang War Epic. This issue was written by Zeb Wells. The cover and interior artwork is by John Romita Jr., inks by Scott Hanna, colors by Marcio Menez, and of course, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. This issue was first released on January 3rd, 2024. Mark, why don't you hit us with the recap of this issue? We open with a WWE-style stare-down between Spidey, She-Hulk, Tombstone, Kingpin, Typhoid Mary, and some goons. Kingpin seems a little miffed that his son has been drawn into the gang war for the reasons of revenge. And in this case, revenge means going after Tombstone's family. 
Meanwhile, Typhoid Mary is waving and blowing kisses at Spidey and She-Hulk, and they are fighting over who she's making eyes at. Fisk ups the temperature a bit in the room by telling Lonnie that he sent some troops to help Rose in his war against Janice. Tombstone tells him to call off his men, and Fisk is all, I know you are, but what am I? And then a big melee starts. That brings us over to another stare down. Gimp, Janice, and the Syndicate are staring down Rose and Digger, and Beetle disrespects Digger by calling him poor man's Bruce Banner. Just as Digger is about to start cracking skulls, we zoom back over to Fisk and Lonnie, and man, that's a lot of nose-to-nose contact for two mafiosos. Tombstone's cap teeth crack, revealing his terrifying pointed teeth and unlocking the rageful Tombstone we know and love. Some random red shirts that Spider-Man and She-Hulk are fighting are on fire, and that's long enough for Typhoid Mary and her animantium-dipped sword to join the fight. She-Hulk learns pretty quick that her work is cut out for her here, and that brings us back over to Digger and the Syndicate. Digger starts making mincemeat out of the Syndicate, just grabbing some random appendages, while the Rose opens fire on Beetle, only to find out that in addition to being kinky, Janice's new suit is also bulletproof. She cracks Rose on the skull, and that's a loud enough hit to remind us that Madam Mask, Shotgun, and the disembodied head of Silvermane are still out there. Shotgun and Mask start talking strategy about that Janice vs. Rose battle simmering, and Mask has her money on, you know, LOL, Fisk wins, of course. Speaking of which, Kingpin and Tombstone are now biting each other's faces, and boy, there's a lot of blood here. Spider-Man tries to intercede before it gets any worse, and then Kingpin throws him across the room for his trouble. She-Hulk and Mary are still fighting until Mary stabs her in the stomach, a la Wyup, stabbing legacy Spider-Book character and best friend to Peter, MJ, and everyone else supporting in the Spider-Verse, Kamala Khan. Except this time, someone in the Spider-Office realized that they have already exceeded their fridging of women in Spider-Man comics quota by one in the past 12 months so She-Hulk is upgraded to very much alive. Lonnie and Fisk are still fighting headfirst with each other, and just like that, we switch back over to Harlem, where Digger is still tearing apart the Syndicate. However, Janice looks like she's got the rose on the ropes, until another batch of goons comes in with guns a-blazing. That brings us right back to Wilson and Tombstone, and despite having every bit of his face chewed up, Kingpin is able to hear his phone ring only to announce to the room that the gang war is over. Wow, Mark, what a recap. A little (laughs) bit shorter than normal, if only because this is a very like visually dominant comic or or at least one that's dominated by fisticuffs and punching and all that back and forth. I I would say, Mark, and, and tell me if you agree with this, that this is kind of the shit hits the fan issue. Like Spider-Man has been going into this gang war to kind of exercise some kind of control and tamp it down and solve it. And this is where like, I mean, Fisk versus Tombstone is probably about as like big of a brouhaha as we're likely to get, you know, Although we're, I'm kind of forgetting that Mad Mask is still off there doing something, and we can get into talking about how maybe that storyline isn't really progressing very strongly with the core story of what's going on here. To me, this is kind of where we reach the peak of like chaos is ensuing. Even though the ending suggests the gang war is over, I don't, I don't buy it for a second. This is like my, at least my hope, where Spider-Man has to really step up. And step in and say, like, I am going to be the control agent of this whole thing. 
What I would say as a starting point, yes, I, I agree wholeheartedly with with your characterization there. Uh, I'm just so excited by the fact that we can say shit hits the fan on this show right now. I feel like in in like the year 2023, 2024, I don't know what the conversations between like Marvel and Zeb Wells and John Romita Jr. is to get JRJR to come on these books. But I feel like this had to be this the part of the story that Zeb sold Jr. on to come to come do this book, you know, or at least do this this storyline on this book because this is like, you know, like I feel like the the late era Ramita Jr. in like full glory here, you know, like it's 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 a combination of like, you know, his old school Daredevil stuff. I mean, even with the Typhoid Mary, but also like kick ass and like there's blood all over the place. It's, it's really graphic. Like this is probably the most graphic Spider-Man story. I think we might've ever had. I, 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 I really struggle to find another, you know, as bloody issue and, three of this run might like might uh like push back otherwise but yeah 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 but like you know not for nothing like that was all within spider-man's costume so like it kind of dulls the 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 visual impact of it i mean like you know you have two characters like literally tearing each other's faces apart in this you know like it, it's it's like two piranhas going at it in this comic it's pretty gritty and gruesome it just feels like everything is coming undone there were several moments in this comic alone where, you know, I either got kind of faked out about the fate of a character. I mean, in some instances, I think we're getting intentionally faked out about fate of characters. And also, frankly, like there were other parts where as I'm reading it and reflecting on it, I'm thinking to myself, this character or that character is not going to make it to the end of the storyline. You know, like I think like it's like something this kind of, chaotic and like a you know it's like a bomb going off in the middle of a market square you know like just shrapnel everywhere right now it's like there is there is going to be collateral damage that comes out of this comic even if we haven't physically seen it yet in the pages of this comic so yeah it's 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 the big it's the big blowout for sure yeah i don't think you do a gang war if you're not going to have like some serious losses in some way i think we probably both agree on who that's going to be and i have that discussion tabled for the second half of this episode. So we'll come back to that idea. But I I think you're right. I mean, Zeb said as much, I think, on Twitter that um, he promised John Romita Jr. that he would get to incorporate Typhoid Mary at at some point and that this was like a payoff on that promise. So I think you're right. Like there is there's a lot of like you can see like maybe shotgun as well being like a favorite that Ramita has worked on over the years and wanting to work with them again. And, and Zeb, you know, finding a way to incorporate that into this, but you're, you're right. Also in terms of like pure bodies on the page, these are crowded, you know, pages, maybe not with dialogue. This is a lot of heavy lifting from Ramita jr. What I wish there was more heavy lifting of in this comic is like Spider-Man's narration and role in the pages of this. We get a little bit inside the head of Spider-Man almost as like a narrator to open this chapter. It's not quite what Zeb has been doing in previous chapters of this story. And this is the one where I kind of felt the most like Spider-Man 
took a back seat and, and you know, maybe it's appropriate because the main show is tombstone versus Kingpin, but it does feel weird that Spider-Man is kind of there. He's doing some fisticuffs and making some quips and he splits up tombstone and Kingpin, but there's no big dramatic moments for the character. And this far into the story, I kind of had wished that he had more to do. Uh, I suspect that that we're about to turn that corner, as I said earlier, but uh, you know, charting my feelings about the, these comics, this is the point where I kind of started to feel the lack of Spider-Man and begin to worry about, is this a Spider-Man story as much as I'm enjoying this story? Like it cannot be about Spider-Man. These are good comics and a good, like big event. But if I'm reading amazing Spider-Man, I'm hoping for more Spider-Man. Yeah. Well also, I mean, if for no other reason, frankly, than I think that I think like Peter's, I, if it's not needed, I feel it can elevate this story more so because, you know, as we mentioned a few minutes ago, I mean, there is all this chaos erupting and like, you know, like Spider-Man kind of comes into gang war, you know, looking to, you know, it's almost like, you know, the, the sheriff is back in town to establish order. It's like he's been neglecting, you know, being the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man for so long. He's been been called out by his colleagues and by Miles for it. And he's he's you know, he's he's trying to make good on it. And, you know, he he has completely lost the thread in this comic with because you got these two kind of, you know, immovable forces squaring off here in Tombstone and Kingpin, one of which he had lined himself to. So like I feel like as tense and and brutal and bloody as this comic is, how how much better as Spider Man, you know, as Spider Man comic readers would it be to have like Peter's voice in the background of this whole thing? Like, yes, like you don't want it to be like overkill, but like you know, we had like you mentioned, you had that one scene where he kind of tries to break it up and he gets like thrown away onto the side first. You know, like let the, let the the grown ups are talking, which is like kind of you know. I don't know if it's meant as meta commentary, but like it's kind of like a slap in the face to the Peter monologue, you know, or, you know, or inner monologue anyway, because it's like, you know, it's almost like the comic itself is saying you're not you're immaterial here, buddy. You know, what's 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 important are these two behemoths going at it? And it's like, no, no, like like. Peter's conscience and Peter's like, you know, responsibility for getting involved in this thing in the first place is what was kind of the promise that drove this story. So not having that here feels notable. Yeah, we need to start dialing that back up again in one way or another. I think it's going to be a, a, a big missed opportunity as much as I'm enjoying these comics. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a specifically the quest that Robbie sends him on, which he says, like, I'm not sure that heroes have a place to play in the city anymore. Like it's up to you to prove it. Spider-Man. Like if you want this law overturned, you know, you're going to be the one that has to prove it. And, you know, here the villains are keeping him out of it. Right. You know, like whether forcefully or by, you know, tombstone exerting his own expertise. And you're right. I mean, maybe it's just as simple as frame. You, you said framing it as simple as framing it as hearing Spider-Man's worries as chaos breaks out. Like, oh my gosh, like, was it right to align with Tombstone? Is he in control? Like, you know, am I fulfilling my responsibility to Robbie's credo? And we don't get enough of that here. And I'll eat my words if the next issue is all about that. 
you know, this seemed like an appropriate place to bring that back. And I definitely left me um, wanting one, one of the things that did really stand out to me here. And I think kind of click into place, you know, is like thinking about the thematic elements of this story. I don't know if it's because of Kingpin's return and him squaring it up with like, my son is in this, your daughter is in this. But for the entire Zeb Wells run, we've talked about the idea of like moving forward past the sins of the past, whether that be the Green Goblin or Peter um, having to move on and put Mary Jane behind him because of previous actions and, and things outside of his control. And that's been so much the kind of thesis of most of these stories. I would say mostly of like the non Ed McGinnis stuff. Although I, I guess the, the Otto Octavius stuff was a, was dipping into that as, as well. But here, you know, that kind of takes on the uh, being represented by like generational change across all of these characters. And I think it's across all of the B titles too. And I, I, you know, whether intentional or not, I could imagine a meeting saying, hey, we're going to do this event. It's about this. Can you guys all do riffs on this? Because it does seem like every book is kind of tapping into this. You've got, you know, Peter, he doesn't have kids, but Miles might as well be the generational represent representative that uh, has been pushing back on Peter and saying like, hey, you should be better. The same with like Janice and Lonnie, the Lincoln family, you know, Kingpin, the Rose. You've got uh, Madame Mask stepping out of the shadows from her father, Count Nefaria. You've got Randy and Robbie, Randy trying to make a big change in the city. And and that's been a long held relationship between Randy and Robbie all the way back to Randy's first appearance where he, you know, pushed you know, de- generational change amongst uh, the African-American experience. You've got Shang- Shang-Chi and Zhang Zhu in that book. You know, he's kind of rewriting the role of the of his father's organization. You've got Elektra carrying on for Matt Murdock. The, the one that doesn't really fit in is like Jessica and Jerry, but, it, you know, she is looking for her child. I don't know if that's really about any kind of generational change, but at least it's dealing with mothers and sons. And then, you know, you could, if you really wanted to put this in, like Luke Cage's book is all about dealing with the sins of the past too, which is, you know, a law was put into action before he arrived. And now he is like kind of trying to work within the system and outside of the system to change it. And I don't know this, that all clicked into place for me with this issue. The idea that like all of these characters are wrestling with what came before them. Um, does that, did that stand out to you at all, Mark? I mean, it certainly comes through here. I mean, I think, frankly, over the, the the history of this book and this character, we have we have seen these kind of generational stories. I mean, you know, whether it's the Osbournes and you know, obviously Uncle Ben and 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 Peter's parents, but like it, it, it's you know, it's it's not 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 to bring up old old gripes uh, with the internet, but like there was an essay I wrote on Chasing Amazing many, many years ago where I made some kind of comment about like family and generational change being like a core theme of Spider-Man. And, you know, someone responded, that's not the core theme. The core theme is responsibility. I'm like, yes, but 
it's like we're we're allowed to have like other riffs on responsibility and like at the end of the day yeah like what's what this kind of moving forward of the sins of the past is 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 at its core about responsibility it's you know in all these different dynamics it's you know what 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 are my obligations what are my responsibilities to the either the generation up or the generation down that are driving these actions you know like like Lonnie feels he's got to protect Janice but Janice feels that you know she's got this lust for revenge and and also for validation right now and like and the and these are you know like is that clouding you know is that lust clouding her sense of responsibility of doing the right thing is she going to get herself into so much trouble that something catastrophic happens to her obviously i mean i thought the 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 example you gave with luke cage and wilson fisk is a great one in terms of like again that responsibility it's like you know cage is taking over he can't just be you know luke cage hero for hire here as mayor of new york he has a responsibility to kind of maintain a sense of order and we're seeing that struggle with him as he's trying to you know do the right thing here but do it like if not by the book at least within you know the guardrails that have been put up by the previous uh administration if you will so yeah i i i think this is a storyline right now that is, is is taking some themes and notes from Spider-Man's past, but like really like playing with it from from multiple angles with multiple characters. You know, I I I think it's been mostly successful to that point right now. I think like the the clarity between the different generations and the conflict between them is very clear you know like it's not i don't i don't think there's anything overly muddied or convoluted in terms of these relationships here and and you know like keep keep those keep those dynamics crystal clear and and easily defined and i think it'll end up being successful storytelling instead of muddying it in like some kind of convoluted mythology and we're not seeing any of that here it's just like it's you know fathers and sons fathers and daughters you know predecessors and and you know people who succeed them it's all there it's easy you know draw the lines it's great you know <laughs> there's no secret scrolls in, uh, in here no. Uh, no or or secret daggers or you know like or twins who have cosmetic surgery or anything like that so we're, we're, <laughs> <laughs> not yet at least <laughs> no I think that's what could make this a successful like Spider-Man story, you know, across this very wide net that they've cast, that it does seem to be playing with these core thematic ideas. You know, all it just needs now is an injection of Spider-Man. Like he needs to feel like the driver uh, of this. And so we'll see where that goes. And then the other kind of like dangling thread to me, and I mentioned it earlier, remains the Madame mask of it all. You know, by the end of this issue, she first of all, we find out that Count Nefaria isn't dead. He's just <laughs> mostly dead um, and he's hanging on the wall. Some blades. We didn't we didn't see mostly dead hammerhead this issue yet. So, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. He's he's definitely still mostly dead. Though, they made a, they made a point to say he wasn't actually dead, which right. means he's not. It would be very bad at the end of the story if they were like and and hammerhead quietly bled out in the background <laughs> of of this story. Although that might be enough for hammerhead to wake up again, see a different poster, and right. change his personality altogether. I'm a Navi now, uh, but uh, anyway, that's a that's a 2023 reference for you all. Uh, I guess that movie was 2022. Anyway, 
th- that remains to me. I mean, she's got some plans for her father. We find out in this issue, so maybe there's something to come there. But like thematically, whether that ties in, I still doesn't tie in plot wise. Like I don't know. Like if she re- truly is the big bad, she's a big bad in another story right now. So like I want to see that stuff coalesce uh, a bit more as well. So, Mark, um, we're going to get to talking about who we think might be dying by the end of this story and <laughs> and some other things in a minute. But why don't you tell people if they want to be more a part of our community where they can go? Of course, Dan. Well, hundreds of listeners like you hang out in our community of Spider-Man fans on Slack. The amazing Spider-Slack community is absolutely free to join and you can jump into active conversations with awesome people about collecting, conventions, movies, new comics, old comics, and much, much more. We can't encourage you enough to check out the amazing Spider-Slack community, especially if you're in the mood for some good old comic book camaraderie by clicking the link in this podcast description to sign up. But Dan... We're also going to use this segment today to talk about our new Amazing Spider Talk Substack. What on earth is a Substack? And what are we doing in it in this week? Yeah, I, I the best way to describe a Slack is to say it's like a Discord. And the best way to, to sub, describe a Substack, uh, which sounds a lot like Slack, although they're different things, is to say it's like a newsletter. You can get in an app or an email, right? Remember those things that you used to get, uh, you know, back in the day in the in the late '90s and early 2000s, and you delete them really quickly. Well, they're the, all the rage now. We've got our own Substack, the Amazing Spider Talk Substack, and it's really allowed Mark and I to kind of return to the thing that we kind of bonded over, which is like writing about Spider-Man. You know, like before there was the podcast, there was Chasing Amazing. And, you know, I wasn't really writing about Spider-Man, so I don't know what I'm talking about. But well, you launched AmazingSpiderTalk.com. There were plenty of written reviews and you 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 had quite you had quite the little empire there. You had writers like what was that? I, had, I wrote everything myself on my damn website. You had a team. What is that nonsense? Hey, look, <laughs> I even had you on the team. So like, you know, like don't make me go back and re- revoke your non-pay. Uh, <laughs> so, so there you go. But yeah, it's a regular newsletter and it's completely free. Like you don't have to spend a dime. Mark and I are putting it out just about every other week, although we might increase it and make it more like substantial and more bite-sized. I mean, we're doing all kinds of stuff. Mark, what did we do in this week's Substack at the time that we're recording this episode? We issued our end of the year uh, recap and it was kind of our state of Spidey, you know, state of the union, if you will. So in that, we we talked about the best issues of 2023, some other thematic elements that kind of emerged over the course of the year. Of course, we talked a little bit about Across the Spider-Verse and the uh, Spider-Man 2 video game, which, you know, I, I still have not played because, you know, I'm still stuck in, you know, 2017 in terms of video gaming. Yeah, I mean, like, it, 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 it is a pretty comprehensive overview of the past year and our thoughts on it like kind of above and beyond what we already talk about on this show and it's you know in in beautiful written form like in the olden days i mean you could maybe hold a candle to your computer to, to read it by by you know the, like you know with like a pot simmering on the side i don't know i'm like i'm trying to like <laughs> like conjure something up here but it's bust it's, out your cathode ray tubes everybody there you go uh, there you yeah, go yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I I think that's a good overview. I mean, like so much Mark and I are kind of like in the moment talking about issue to issue and every issue we try to provide like, you know, some context for our reviews and 
where they fall in, in the world of Spider-Man. But like with this, we got to really look back holistically at 2023, the ups and downs of the whole thing. And um, I think it's kind of a neat thing to do. And it's been very well received. So um, anyway, if you want to uh, join us on our Substack journey and get those newsletters, you can just go to amazingspider.substack.com. It'll prompt you to sign up. It's totally free and you'll start getting a bunch of content, including all of our uh, reviews of all of the B titles that have been spinning out of gang war. And man, there are a lot of them. So there's a um, lot. <laughs> that's the Substack and the slack. They sound identical and are probably going to be confused, but uh, get it straight. That's what we're offering. Mark, let's get back into our review of issue 41 and let's talk about John Romita Jr. I mean, I think we said a little bit about like how much this is like a showcase book for him. Were there moments that stood out to you uh, from this comic? I mean, yeah, I mean, this is I, I know I was making a comment about it being like kind of, you know, very bloody and graphic and, you know, like, like, let's not get it confused here i wasn't saying that in a bad way i thought this was great like i i like this was just like jr jr dialed up to 11 and he's delivering i mean he's having the time of his life here i mean whether it's you know getting to draw typhoid mary if that's just what inspires him and gets him going I, I don't know man like i i you know i can't i can't speak for jr on that front but like he he is just like dialed in and clicking on all cylinders here i mean the 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 fight between Lonnie and Fisk is just so I, I, I again, like I can't think of what to compare it to visually from what we've seen over the years in the in this in this uh, comic. And, and, you know, like you're just conveying so much brutality over the course of many panels where it's it's really just two heads like budding. You know what I mean? Like that that was what was so interesting about it. It's like, you know, it kind of looks like two rhinoceros or two you know, elephants just going at it. Like they're the, these larger than life characters. Like they just seem within the panel, just so huge and imposing and, and frightening and, 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 you know, like that they're gonna like, you know, and I know we, we, we're, we're still saving the segment for a little later, but like, you know, there's a part of me, you know, part of me that's like almost expecting one to just like issue the kill shot at any po point. Like that's how like, tense and, and close everything is so like that or like th mike tyson the ear off of some yes yeah yeah i mean like hey i i watched that in real time dan and that 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 <laughs> actually i i did think of that as i was watching that. i was like this is like tyson and holyfield this is insane like it's like like you when, when did you ever see that in a, in a boxing match before when do you see this in a spider-man comic before it's it's beyond the pale but in such a great way because it works given who these two characters are and how it's rendered here. Um, I, I, I thought this was phenomenal. Yeah. You know, this is going to sound like an insanely hyperbolic comparison. And so I'm just going to acknowledge that like at, at, uh, at from the start. But the thing I immediately thought of was Batman versus Superman from the Dark Knight uh, Returns, like these kind of hulking squared off like mounds of muscle that are rigidly like decking it to each other. Um, you know, there's that great image of Batman just like slugging Superman across the face and he kind of forms like a 90 degree angle, the body of Superman. And that's what I thought of here. But for me, the like most 
impactful moment, and I use that term specifically, is the first clash between the two men as they hurl their bodies at each other. And it's rendered in this amazing spread where literally the fold of the page is where their bodies hit each other. And I just thought that was so cool, especially coming from a guy that did like the kind of vertical page twisting stuff with uh, the vulture earlier in this run, like using the physicality of the book to kind of emphasize that clash. It makes me like happy to be reading physical comics uh, in 2023. And I mean, there's many reasons I'm happy to re be reading physical comics in 2023. One of which is the shuttering of comiXology, but I rest in peace. That page was so impactful because of that crease down the middle and the way they hit. I thought that was really, really cool. And I know we've had the back and forth of like, are Tombstone's teeth capped or not capped? And I thought that was just a smart play by Zeb and maybe a signal for what's to come of like the mind state that like Tombstone is in is that like he's getting dirty again. He's you feral, know? man. He's totally right. feral. Yeah. 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 You know, if the end of this issue is to be believed, which I don't think it is, like we're about to see an even more feral Tombstone. You know, maybe it's a play by Fist to make him more feral and seize on his emotionality towards his daughter. Yeah, let's get to talking about. It. Let's talk about the Lincolns because well, can I can I can I back you up on the art one more on one more thing? I did want to ask you. I alluded to it in uh, the the recap, but you know the 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 sequence of of Mary's sword. Uh, going through the gut of She-Hulk, which immediately conjured the visual of Kamala Khan getting it from why, I mean, like it's almost shot for shot the same. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and then it's like, it's like, wow, this like, is, is, is that like the only way they like to like stab people in this comic now is <laughs> like, is that the official stabbing uh, picture or what? I mean, I mean, I, I gotta be honest with you, Mark, when I read that, my heart like sunk, like, because I was like, are we going to have to like, not only are we going to have to like deal with like, oh no, here's Zeb killing another woman off. Not because I feel any like desire to defend him because I did not defend the killing of Kamala Khan. But like, I was just like, really like, don't make me believe in all of the bad stuff that people are saying on the internet, which I like, you know, not that I'm trying to push back on them because I just genuinely disagree that like this book has been targeted in any way. Like, oh, doing that would have really upset me. But then the next pa next panel is like, I'm just going to heal right back up again. And I'm like, oh, yeah, of course, duh. Right. A sword would take Hulk. out She-Hulk. <laughs> yeah, it's a Hulk. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it was it was a, a very quick fake out for me. But yeah, like it was a very, I mean, yes, the scene, the scene itself kind of establishes it was a fake out. But like, I was just like, no way. But like, I, I, I did like the, I have to imagine, I mean, don't get me wrong. The visual stylings of how they frame that in both instances is very artistically well rendered and visually stunning. I got to think that's also what was meant to be a direct callback because I'm sure people were thinking like, you know, people were going to have the same reaction you just had like, oh, no, not again. You know what I mean? Like and, you know, so, you know, a little a little light trolling, perhaps, from the creative team here. I actually want to talk about that really quickly because there has been an emphasis in this comic, specifically around the gang war with like what can pierce what 
You know, we had the bullets from shotgun that pierced tombstones hide when he's like formerly been bulletproof. And I don't know that we've necessarily gotten the answer to that. Like, I guess the implication is that Madame Mask gave him some kind of like armor piercing rounds, you know, there. And then we've got here, we've got, um, you know, obviously a nod to Wolverine, like, hey, I was on Krakoa and I borrowed some adamantium from the Wolverine regen cells that they have there. Uh, for those of you who are reading the, you know, the various X-Men books where they establish how they clone Wolverine um, and re-inject him with adamantium every time. Good, good times for him. You know, so she's got this adamantium like tipped uh, blade, which I thought was a really cool image of like the blade cutting into She-Hulk's arm, you know, uh, just even the littlest bit. And her kind of not being bothered by it, but also kind of taken by surprise. Um, but then we get like um, that uh, Jan- Janice's uh, armor is bulletproof in some way. And I thought that was just kind of an odd note to like emphasize like, oh, this is a bulletproof suit. You're going to need stronger bullets to get through it. You know, uh, is that a setup for something to pierce that? playing with these ideas of what pierces what and setting them up early. Like it seems a little out of its way. You know, maybe I'm jumping ahead in the story, but like I couldn't help but notice that. Oh, sure. This is, this is a Chekhovian gun. If I've ever seen it, no pun intended. Let's talk about where that Chekhovian gun might ultimately fire. Perhaps let's talk the Lincoln stand. Cause I think that is the, the 800-pound uh, gorilla, or maybe it's the 800-pound mafiosa in the room, which the is albino like, mafioso. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what what is going to happen to? And I I know I always call her Janice. It's is it Janice? Is that is that been verified? By I, I don't know. It's official it, than it, us. Or, tomato, tomato. Okay, whatever. Well, I, hopefully it's not like uh, what's the other character I used to mispronounce all the time? Uh, oh, San Johnny. San Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still gonna get hate mail for that just for bringing it up we we talked earlier about the generational themes of this storyline and you know like i know that we are getting well let's start let's let's start at the beginning here dan we th- this the whole gang war kicked off because of an attempted assassination on tombstone but then you know it they have been simmering and teasing that you know the Fisk are going to get their revenge by targeting targeting uh, Janice uh, before it's all said and done with this story, which kind of puts her in doubt. I, I got to tell you, I'm reading this comic and th- this current issue, and I am just getting this feeling of foreboding about Lonnie Lincoln here. I, 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 I really do not believe he makes it to the end of the storyline. It does read like Lonnie's last stand. You know, like this does feel like uh, Lonnie is doing whatever he can to save his daughter. And because he's more more sympathetic than than Fisk, you know, it's always it's the guy you care about that gets the axe. You're right. I I also have a great feeling of foreboding uh, around Lonnie Lincoln. But, you know, to that point, let's talk about like what happened in this issue. Right. Spider-Man has entrusted, you know, some level of trust with Lonnie to the point that like 
I mean, go to compare it with the original gang war story, which we're talking about in season six, episode 10, you know, that Spider-Man, you know, meeting with the Kingpin, whether it's, you know, back in black or whatever, you know, he is not a guy to stand on the sidelines without like jumping in and just like letting Kingpin have it, you know, especially in this current uh, state. And so to stand there in that opening spread, you know, and look at Kingpin and let Lonnie step forward and do some negotiating is a lot of trust from Spider-Man. And I, you know, Lonnie has sold himself on like, Hey, I know the ins and outs of this thing. Like I'm picking and choosing my battles, you know? And what we see here does not appear on the surface to be a guy that is picking and choosing his battles. He seems very easily enraged. And what was a meeting set up to be a meeting with Fisk becomes a, you know, brawl with Fisk. Do you think there is more calculation going on than we are like being like fed because of our limited perspective into Tombstone's mind? Like, is he more in control than is being suggested here? I mean, we get the teeth breaking, right? That is like unleashing or what we're meant to understand is the unleashing of the more feral tombstone by the language of this comic you know, has that cap been broken or is he still playing chess uh, while we're playing checkers? I, I honestly don't know. I, 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 you know, I mean, at the same time, you know, just to kind of go back to the original thesis of this, of this segment here. I mean, like certainly the breadcrumbs about Lonnie Lincoln and kind of how he has evolved to, I think, how we as readers should now be seeing him as somewhat sympathetic. These breadcrumbs have been, they've been getting dropped since the very beginning of this creative run. I mean, like, you know, like we, we you know, that very first arc, which, I mean, I still think it's the best arc of this run so far was the, the first five issues. Yes, you know, like Lonnie manipulates Peter, but there's, you know, kind of like this tip of the hat to it at the end of it, like, you got me, buddy. And, you know, he gets him, but, like, not, you know, like, like Lonnie kind of, like, gets elevated there to, like, okay, this, there's some, there's more to this guy than just being a crime boss. Um, and obviously, like, through the buildup, uh, you know, and the prelude to gang war and, and everything. So, like, you know, and, and he makes that offhand comment in the last uh, issue, like, you know, I, I haven't been doing myself any favors on the street by being aligned with you either, buddy. You know what I mean? Like, so, like, you know, we're, 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 we're building that range of, of sympathy. Does that mean that Lonnie is in control here? I don't I mean, know. Jan- J- Janice is probably his Achilles heel, right? I mean, like, like we're, I, like, I think you could very easily read his daughter is like, and his care for his daughter being a weakness, you know, like, but, but I, I, we don't know yet. Like, you know, he might be more on top of being a father than we were, than, than we have known to this. Point. Right. Right. But then, you know, at the same time, which kind of leads to the feelings of foreboding, foreboding, wouldn't the tragedy be in Lonnie losing control and becoming sloppy as a result? You know what I mean? And 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 ending, you know, and in his bid to protect his daughter fails to protect himself and he ends up not surviving 
this storyline when, you know, things were looking earlier on, like, you know, he was, you know, was a steady hand on the ship, if you will. Again, I think this is all hyper intentional. We need the remaining issues to answer these questions, of course. I, I am of the mindset right now that he he has lost control, and I think that's going to be his undoing. By whose hand? That, you know, let's see what kind of story Zeb is, is weaving here, because I think there's a couple of directions that it can go for sure. I don't think it's going to be the obvious, oh, Kingpin rips his face off, you know, like, I think it's going to be a little more intricate than that. Yeah. I just, I don't know, like if I a hundred percent at this point believe that like Kingpin threatening his daughter was enough to like make him lose control, especially when the previous issue, he pulled white rabbit aside and said, you know, keep an eye on, on, on Janice and, and keep her safe, you know? So like he has every expectation, I guess maybe, Fisk's troops, he knows truly that they're going to be able to uh, uh, overpower them. Although I don't, I don't really know how, I guess she gets the drop on the rose or whatever. So let, let's get to talking about Fisk's troops because there are these like red hooded characters that show up at the end. And like, look, I'm no X-Men Claremont run expert. You know, I, I, Notably, haven't read that run uh, in its entirety, and I've been reading a lot of modern X-Men, and that's probably my own folly. I just know that Claremont's X-Men is an endeavor that needs to get a significant amount of attention. It's a lot of content in that in that run, sir. So I, you know, like I, I've read some of it, but not not all of it. <laughs> I I know enough about the Hellfire Gala to like recognize or not, the Hellfire Club to recognize. They're goons, the ones that are up with you know Fisk and and all of that. And I know that he is now running the, you know, the club. But I've never seen characters that look like this. And then, you know, sometimes when I'm not clear on a plot detail or an appearance of a character or something like that, I'll go to like the Marvel uh, fandom wiki, which I think does an excellent job of like cataloging appearances of things. And it's very up to date and has recaps very quickly of like things uh, that are up. Now there's no, at this time, there's no recap for this particular issue. And I don't know how that page is sourced. You know, I imagine it's like any other wiki. There are people that contribute stuff to it in some way. And it's not actually like double checked by Marvel in, in any way. And I, correct me if I'm wrong, or you, if you know anything more about it than I do. And listeners, if you know, uh, I'd be curious to hear more about the background of that page. But they have those characters listed as people wearing mandroid armor from the Avengers comics. And they're like a constant foe throughout the history of the Avengers and other places in the Marvel Universe. And that's not what I read it as. I just read it as like random hooded figures whose faces we don't see. What did you read it as when you... Because it's one panel. Like... Like these are the the backups or what we are led to believe or the backups from Fisk have arrived. My my initial read like was, oh, these are these must be more kingpin people. I very I don't want to say quickly, but I, I don't necessarily buy that because it's just kind of like, you know, again, like Rose and Digger are are squaring off against. Uh, Janice and the syndicate and, you know, like 
It's like Janice gets the upper hand against the Rose. And then all of a sudden, just these random hooded characters that we've never seen before, just like show up and say, light them up. But like, we don't like, like who, like, you know, we're not seeing where the gunfire is directed. We're not, you know, like, like it's, it's, it's breaking all the rules of comics here in terms of like what is happening and who is hurt and, and what is the outcome? Like it, it, it's like, you know, it, it's, it's very clearly a bait and switch. I think even in terms of what is happening on the pit, you know, we're led to believe because, you know, if Kingpin's face, like it's over that, Oh, Janice is dead. No, I, you know, like, like that, that, that's clearly, <laughs> there's no body. That, that's, that's nonsense. But like, I, We've played with this before, and I know maybe some of it is due to me misreading the comic, but like, I, I think over the course of the story, we've had several instances where like Zeb and JRJR, or whoever the artist is, is kind of playing with like, we have panels happening, but like what's actually happening sequentially in each, like who's understanding what? There's just so much misdirection uh, just based on the visuals in, in this storyline so far. So like, I, you know, to, to, I, I do, I, I don't have an educated guess about who these characters are, but like, I, I, my sense is that there is going to be significant explanation about what this all is in, in a coming issue. Cause it doesn't quite add up to me that this is just, you know, either the hellfire club or what I like, you know, it just doesn't, it doesn't pass the test, the sniff test for me. I mean, say what you will about this run, like people who like or dislike the run, Zeb pays real close attention to detail. You know, like maybe you don't like the choices he's made, but he, when he makes a choice, he pays great attention to detail. He seeds stuff and it pays off and he doesn't even draw attention to it sometimes. You know, like for example, uh, you know, Silvermane's femur being the thing that's used to you know, beat up hammerhead, you know, like it doesn't need to underline it. It's there for you to discover. Right. So like he could have very easily just told John Romita jr. To draw the same hellfire, you know, thugs that we're watching, you know, show up in, in the, the big brawl up in, you know, the high rise building or wherever they are, you know, it, with Kingpin. So, but that it's not those guys says to me, that there's something to read into it not being those guys. Now, if the next issue comes and it's Kingpin's guys, fine. Like, I don't think that's any, like, problem with the storytelling in, in any way. Like, we all know that there's, like, thugs and then there's, like, super thugs, you know? Right, like, right. Uh, unless, the upgraded yeah. thugs, yeah. Right, right. The, the um, version two thugs. Unless it's different thugs. Like, unless he draws, like, other thugs that weren't there the first time or, like, you know, Peter's hoodie being a different color or something. I I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be concerned about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, like, to, to me, like, like, this is still a question mark. And I, I think anybody that thinks Janice is dead by the end of, of this comic. Like I've got a bridge to sell you in the same way. I've got bridges to sell you about the death of Peter Parker and Captain America being Hydra. I don't think it's on that level, but like, you know, we've seen this before in comics. The real twist would be if she was actually dead. Right. right. Um, so like, wow. You uh, got me. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ab absolutely. Um, I, I did want to point out one more thing before we kind of end the conversation on the Lincoln's is, you mentioned this thing about Janice cosplaying 
as like a gangster. And I love the line in, in this where she makes like a, a challenge to the Rose and says like, I don't dress like this to get scared. And to me, when you have to point that out, that you're wearing a costume to scare, like to like you're terrified Right. Like and it, and it shows by how heavily fortified maybe the armor on that costume is, you know, like to me, this underlined your point about her cosplaying as a as a crook or as a villain. Yeah. All right. Hey, Mark's right. I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, Mark, uh, what what are you going to give this particular issue? If uh, if you said all your pieces, I, 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 I'm, I am. I am. My pieces have been said. I'm going to give this a B. I enjoyed this a lot. Kind of going back to the original thing we talked about. I just want more Peter. I think as a as a comic book, it's it's better than a B. But as a Spider-Man comic book, it's a B. I'm giving it a B minus. And for the exact same reasons you said, which is like, I think this is a great comic story. But I'm yet to be convinced by the like other than first strike, I've yet to be convinced and, and the first strike and the ongoing themes that this is a Spider-Man story. And I need I need that framing to kick in. Mm. Excellent. All right. We did it. <laughs> All right. Well, that means it's that time time for all good things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers, for tuning into this episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. Yeah, this podcast exists because of listener support on Patreon. For only $3.99 a month, you can help support our show's existence while getting early episodes, including these reviews the same week the comics release, exclusive artwork, and a ton of other bonuses. So a thank you to everyone who already supports us in the work that we do. Plus, we wanted to extend a special thanks to our newest contributors, Mark Taylor and Jake Elliott. Mark and I really want to increase all of the awesome work that we do in 2024. So if you're already a patron or want to become one, please help us meet our various goals and make this a better podcast by considering supporting our shows. Just go to AmazingSpiderTalk.com and click on the big Patreon button to get us started. To download our earliest episodes, you no longer need to go check out our Back Issues podcast because... Uh, we found a way to extend our made feed to include all of our shows. So as of this episode, the Back Issues podcast no longer exists. Just go to Amazing Spider Talk on your favorite podcast app and get all of the Spider-Man content, Dan. I will say there are two episodes on Spotify that are missing in our earlier superior days. I believe it's like episode six and episode 15. And that's because we used to include music choices from Mark in the episode that we didn't have rights to. And iTunes doesn't care about that, but Spotify does. So if you're someone that is listening on Spotify and, and you get to this episode and you're enraged, there's like one person out there listening to this that wants to hear those two good episodes of Superior Spider Talk. They're everywhere but Spotify. Just a special note, and I'll never bring that up ever again. Mark is not actually helpful in making this podcast, but you know who it is? <laughs> our editor, Rick Coast, who edits all of the audio versions of our show. The video version of the show is available on YouTube and was edited by Alex Galucki. Our artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friend, Sal Busema, and Nick Cagnetti. Our theme songs were produced by Ryland Bojack, Tony Thaxton, and Spider-Madge. 
and our animated intro was created and performed by Josh Sutton. Don't forget to go check out our amazing Spider Talk Substack. That's amazingspider.substack.com, where we're covering all of the various B titles in Gang War and all of the other events going on in the world of Spidey. And uh, as we said earlier, we did a recap of all of 2023 at the time of this recording. So, Mark, until we bash heads enough and prove our manliness enough through violence that we appear to be making out, what's our motto? With great podcasts, there must also come the amazing Spider Talk. Don't, don't miss the next installment.